good to see everybody out. I came in here, it was probably about, uh, it was probably about 10 till or so, roughly. And I told everybody, I said, you guys got to sit closer together because we're not going to have room for everybody. <laughs> I think it was my mom and dad here uh, and the band. So it's, it's nice to see it filled in a little bit. Um, before we get started, I do want to uh, congratulate Julia and Lily. They made it past sectional in their track and field and going to regional. Good stuff, good stuff. And so we're going to continue on in our uh, study of 1 Timothy. Uh, we're in chapter 3, as, as Landon talked about, and we're going to be going through verses uh, 8 through 16. There's some, some things in here that are a little tough, uh, so we're going to try to get through them, and I'm going to tell you what I think. Uh, certainly, uh, I don't claim to be the know-it-all of it, uh, but we're going to go through here and see what we get. Um, last week, Pastor Nate and Landon talked about kind of the position of the elder or some people call them pastors or bishops or a uh, hundred other things. Uh, so they kind of talked about that position and what what that position was and the kind of the qualities or the qualifications of, of that position. And this week we're going to, to pick up and now we're going to go into the position or the role of uh, deacon in the church. So let's go ahead and let's open up in prayer and uh, we'll get to the word. Father God, we come to you tonight, God, and uh, Lord, we just want to tell you how awesome that you are, God, and how thankful that we are, Lord, that, that we live in a country, God, that we have the freedom and the rights to worship you, God, and to be here freely without persecution. Uh, God, you've given and blessed this nation so much. And God, we also know that uh, where much is given, Lord, much is required. And so, Father, we just pray, Lord, that we would, each one here, that we would allow your word to sink in deep into our spirit, God, that uh, we would grow closer to you through it, Jesus, and, and most importantly, we would let your word get into our heart and, and transform our lives, God, as we live it out. And God, we just pray anything that would distract us this evening, we would leave outside the door. God, that we would give it all to you, Lord, and our hearts and our minds would be here focused and intent on giving you the praise and the glory that you're so worthy of. It's in the precious name of Jesus we ask. All right, so let's go ahead, and we're going to pick up here in 1 Timothy. We're going to read verses uh, 8 and 9 in chapter 3. Uh, it says, Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine uh, or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith which is with a clear conscience. So right off the bat, Paul moves to this next section here, and it's deacons that he talks about. And now some churches, they've, they've kind of skewed what a deacon is, and there's there's some churches that will, uh, a deacon has authority over the elder or the pastor, and they can hire them and fire them and do whatever they want to with the elder, which certainly is, is not biblical at all. Uh, there's some churches that if you come in and you got enough money, well, you're a deacon <laughs> because we want to keep you close, right? Uh, or it's just a good old buddies club. They just get their friends in there. Um, so it's, it's not what the Word of God tells us that it is. So we're going to kind of take a look at that real quick. Um, the, the Greek word for that is uh, diakonos. And so that comes from a couple of words meaning uh, to thoroughly and to dust. So really it gives the meaning of kicking up dust. Not the Luke Bryan song. But to kick up dust or to thoroughly, to be in a hurry. So you're, you're speeding, you're in a hurry to help someone. 
That's the, that's the analogy that, that it gives. That's the meaning that it's giving. So you can see from the word deacon, it's really someone that's eager. Their, their desire and their passion, their purpose, is to be there to help people and to serve people. That's where that comes from. And we're going to go back here in Acts chapter 6, and we're going to kind of look at uh, the prototype, or when most people believe kind of this position kind of came into being or morphed into being. So we're going to look in Acts chapter 6. It says, now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation uh, of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom. Whom, whom may, he may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, um, Prochronos, uh, Nacanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. Ooh, those are some tough ones. A proselyte from Antioch. And they these were brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. So they, the, they bring these seven men before the, uh, the apostles. And this, these first seven, you'll see them called the seven some, uh, throughout Scripture a little bit. But they're kind of uh, commissioned to do this task for the church uh, so that the, the apostles can devote themselves to the Word uh, and to teaching the Word. Because remember, this is, this is a fairly new thing here. So they're, they're diving into the Word. Uh, they're really concentrating on that and getting the word of God out. So they're doing all of that. And so then now these seven men are chosen because people are starting to feel like they've, they're being neglected inside the church. So they're starting to feel a little neglected and there's starting to be some envy uh, and some arguments. So these men were chosen and appointed by the apostles to take on this role as, as a servant in the church. And to make sure that people were taken care of in the church. Uh, widows especially, people that were uh, in dire need, people that really needed help. These people were there to make sure that they were taken care of. Could you imagine like a church of, of our size, um, anywhere from 350 to 400 on any given Sunday, and then you tell Nate and Chris, okay, you got to take care of everybody. Uh, you got to be at everything. Every, and not only just the people that come to church. So when the people that come to church, now they want you to be there for their extended family too, right? So could you imagine two people trying to do that? It just would be chaos and things would be left and, and forgotten and people would be overlooked. And so that's why the position of deacon is, is so important. Uh, there's no way that, that people could be there to, uh, Nate and Chris could be there to be at every hospital visit to make sure that every need is met, to make sure the sick are visited, to make sure the shut-ins and the needy are taken care of to the best of our ability. There's no way that they could do that and it be done effectively. And so that's why this role of deacon comes into play, and that's, that's why, why it's a valued position in the church. Uh, we have a great, great group of deacons here, and we're going to be doing more over uh, the next several weeks here to kind of get them a little bit more in front of you guys to to see who they all are and to understand kind of what they do. and uh, So you're going to kind of see a little bit more of that. We have, an, again, just an awesome group of people. Uh, 
I don't brag on Matt Denton. I don't think he's in here, so I won't ruin his blessing. But uh, Pastor Ben, as you guys know, has been, has been in some pretty bad shape. Uh, he texted me with a, kind of a list of things he need done around his house. So I text out to the deacons of some things that, that we could do. And Matt was like, well, I'll go over there and check it out and see what, and he did it all. Uh, he did it all before we could even get over there that weekend to do anything. So uh, eager to serve, eager to be there for people in their time of need. So again, I, we're really excited about our deacons. We think we got a good group of guys that, uh, that are really going to be there for the people and want to be there for the people. And again, we're going to get them out in front of you more here uh, as the weeks come. So. And now Paul goes on to list these, these qualifications, these things that to take note of when you're appointing a deacon, when an elder is appointing a deacon. Now you're, you're going to notice a lot of them will kind of be interchangeable or similar to uh, what we heard last week as a pastor because it, it, it all it comes back to character. It all comes back to the person that the man is. So deacons like pastors are a position in the church where uh, some attention are given. So there has to be some things that that are met. You can't just pick anybody and say, okay, well, you're a deacon. They have to be some things that are met. So Paul goes into that uh, in 1 Timothy. Again, we'll look at that real quick. It says, deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued, or addicted to much wine, or fond of sort of gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So they must be men of dignity. So meaning that they have to be honorable men. They have to be men of good character, men of good standing, in the public and in the church. Uh, not double-tongued. That means they don't speak out of both sides of their mouth, right? They don't tell this person one thing and they'll go tell this person another to kind of cause strife. Or they don't say they're going to do something and then they don't do it. Their words and their actions line up. And they're not doing anything to cause problems with their tongue. We all know those people, don't we? <laughs> they're not fun to be around and they're hard to be friends with. They're hard to like people that will, will do that and speak out of both sides of their mouth and be all goody two-shoes to you and then they go to this person and talk about you like a dog, right? We all know those people and they're hard to be around. They really are. And then it says, not addicted to wine or to alcohol. Now notice it says, addicted to much wine. It doesn't say, cannot have a drink. It says, addicted to much wine. And you'll actually see a little later in, in 1 Timothy that he actually tells, Paul tells Timothy, hey, why don't you have a little wine for your stomach's sake? So nowhere in Scripture will you ever see that having a drink of alcohol is a sin. What Paul's basically saying there is that if, if when you're selecting deacons, they can't be drunkards. You know what I mean? They can't be coming out of the bar on Saturday night and rolling in here on Sunday to be a deacon. Could you imagine Rex rolling in here all hung over on Sunday morning after he was out at the bar Saturday night. It doesn't look good. And not that it, even that it just doesn't look good, that they're not going to be effective in what they do, if that's the case. So he says they can't be drunkards. They can't be addicted to wine. And again, it wouldn't look good if we had deacons coming in here all hung over and stuff. So. And then it says they're not fond of sordid gains. So they're not, they're not crooked. They're not schemers and wheelers and dealers, right? They're not, they're not somebody that's looking to take advantage of somebody to get over on them to get some gain. So these, these deacons, especially when the early church was started, right, it was because of the widows. Could you imagine somebody that's crooked and, and, a, 
and a schemer that goes into these widows and now they start pilfering all their money from them. That's why you, they have to be of good character. They can't be fond of sort of game because they're put in a position that they're going to be dealing with people and sometimes dealing with people that are vulnerable. So they have to be people of good character and not somebody that's going to steal and make gain off of somebody. We see those people all over the TV. All you got to do is turn on the TV. There's evangelists everywhere, right, that are taking advantage of elderly people and stealing their money to plant a seed, right? They want to plant a seed for $1,000 because you're going to get all this, reap all of this. And they're, they're just pilfering money and getting all this sorted gain from these people. And then it says that they're holding to the mystery of faith with a clear conscience, meaning they hold to the true teaching. They hold to that teaching, uh, that fundamental teaching that, that Paul has passed down of, of faith in Jesus Christ. And, that, and they, that teaching is with a clear conscience because they know that they're not violating that all the time. Now, we're, none of us are perfect, right? And we're never going to get it all the way right all the time. But, but they're holding to the faith in word and in deed. means they're good in the word. They understand the scripture. And not only that they understand it, but they live it out through their life. So when you see these men, you understand that the Word of God is working in them. And you understand that they know something about the Word of God. They're putting into practice the things that they've been taught about Jesus. Not that they say and act holy on Sundays and then the rest of the week, it's do whatever you want to do. We have too many of those Christians in general. We certainly don't need somebody that, that has the status of a deacon to be doing that. They're not hypocrites. They're not actors. They're not acting like they love some, and they, and they go out and violate that all the time. So they hold fast to the Word, they understand the Word of God, and they live it out in the deeds that they do in their life. 1 John 3.18 says, Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. And then in James, he gives a great picture of this. He says, But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers of the word who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So James is saying somebody that, that hears the word of God and, and knows the word of God but doesn't let it change and affect their lives is like somebody that's, that's really ugly and they go look in the mirror and they don't do nothing about it. Right? They don't change anything about their appearance. He's saying if you're looking at that law of liberty and it's telling you this needs to change, you're a fool not to change it. That's what he's saying. When you look in that mirror and you need a little makeup, Put a little makeup on. Fix yourself. Right? That's what he's saying. Don't be a fool and let the Word of God not change your life. So they're knowledgeable in the Word and they practice it in their life. If you were to continue down, we, we read a little bit in Acts chapter 6, but if you were to continue down, you'll see that Stephen, not long <laughs> after being made this position, was actually murdered and martyred uh, because he was teaching and preaching and he came up against people of the synagogue, and they, they couldn't, the Bible says they couldn't cope with it, but that word really is withstand it. It means they had no defense for it. He was so versed in the word 
that they couldn't stand up to him. And so they did the natural thing we do as humans, right? We killed him. So that's what they did. They had him killed, but he was knowledgeable in the word. He knew the word of God, and that's what's important for, for somebody in this position. And then in 1 Timothy 3.10, it says, These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. So he says to test them. Now that doesn't mean that we have a physical agility test and, and all these scholastic tests for people that want to be deacons. What he's saying is mark them out. Watch how they live. See what they do in situations. See their, their totality of their life. Mark those things out. And when you're ready to appoint a deacon, choose men or, or whoever from among them that live up to these standards. Don't just pick your buddy and say, hey, now you got to do these things, right? He's saying you sh these people should already be living this way. You should already have them marked out. They've been tested, and you've marked them out as somebody that, that would be good for this role. Not somebody that's just a buddy again, and we just say, hey, you want to be a deacon, and here's what you got to start doing, right? You can't be living this way anymore. That's not what Paul says. Paul says mark them out, test them first. If they stand up to the scripture, if they stand up to these qualifications, when you need that deacon, then you bring them in. That's what he's saying there. And now we get to this cute little verse here. <laughs> it says, Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossip, but temperate and faithful in all things. And now this verse is its really pretty interesting, and we'll probably ruffle a little bit of feathers, but uh, some of your Bibles will say, Wife. And some of your Bibles will say women. That word could technically be mo both. Uh, it really means kind of women, and it kind of leans toward maybe a woman that is married. Um, so Paul, is, is he saying here that these are deacons' wives? Or is he saying here that these are women who are serving in this position as a deacon? That's a tough one, right? Um Truthfully, I am not sure where I land on that, to be quite honest with you. I've spent hours and hours and hours and hours looking at it, and I'm just not 100% either way. Uh, I feel like Paul here, honestly, is talking to the wives of the deacons. Uh, if you'll notice, he goes deacon, 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 women, and then deacon must be husband of one wife after that. Uh, that's how I feel that he's talking to the to the deacon's wives and he's saying that their wives must also meet these qualifications. Um, but certainly throughout Scripture, there are examples of women who were servants of Jesus and servants of the church. Uh, Mary Magdalene and other women followed Jesus and served him and served others. Uh, in Romans 16, we're going to read this, and this is a tough one. Uh, Paul says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant. I underlined, or it's not on there, but it was underlined, servant, because it's the same word that Paul used in 1 Timothy 3.10. Same, exact same word. Uh, a servant of the church, which is at Centria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have in need of you. For she herself also has been a helper to many and of myself as well 
Same word, again, used in 1 Timothy as it is used here. A servant, a helper. See, whether Phoebe had this official title of, of deaconess, some Bibles may even say deaconess in them, I believe, some translations. Whether she had that or not, again, that's up for debate. I, I honestly am not 100% sure either way, and I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I'm just not. Certainly, I do believe women can have this role of a servant in a church. Um, and probably more would get done if we had more women children. Um, but that's, that's a tough part of Scripture. I'm going to be flat honest with you. The one thing that is sure, though, whether they're male or whether they're female, we all have the ability and the opportunity to serve God. We shouldn't have to wait on a title to want to serve God. If the only reason that we're doing things for people is to have a title, what good is that? What good is your service? That means nothing at that point. So it doesn't matter, really, what matters is are we serving God the way that God designed us to and the way that we should be serving God? That's what's important. Are you living your life out for God? What's important is that we love the way that Jesus taught us to love and that we're in service of God and we love God the way that we're supposed to love God and we love people the way that God taught us to love people. That's what's important. And so he gives this, this, this kind of these qualifications of these women or these wives of the deacons uh, that they've got to be of good and honorable character. So just like the men, they have to be honorable. They can't be out uh, losing and gallivanting around, right? They have to be honorable people, people of good reputation. And then here comes the tough one. He says they cannot be malicious gossip. <laughs> that disqualifies a lot of women, right? A lot of us, really. That disqualifies most of us, if we're truthful. So he says they cannot be malicious gossip. And that, that's a hard one for us. Because, you know, kind of in our day and age, gossip is seen as kind of like a poo-poo thing anymore, right? Oh, well, that's not anything big. That's not a big deal. When, when you read through Scripture, it's one of the things that God hated the most. So, no matter what the world thinks, no matter what the world acts and how they act and what they think, what matters is how does God see things? doesn't matter if your buddies think it's no big deal. How does God see it? Because that's what matters doesn't matter if you're comfortable because you, all your friends do it. What matters is, does God, how does God view it and how does God see it? God says in Proverbs that a lying tongue and one who sows strife among the brethren is one of the seven things, two of the seven things that he hates the most. Hates it. That's not a poo-poo thing, right? He hates it. And you know the word used there in the Greek for or for. Uh, gossip or malicious slanderer. It's uh, diabolos. Anybody know what word we get from that? We get the, the root word of what? Who? Satan, right? That's how God uses it. That's the word that's used. Gossip and slander are straight from the devil. Straight from the devil. When you do these things, you're acting just like the devil. The Bible says that he stands day and night accusing and slandering us before God. And when we do that to other people, other children of God, 
Who are we acting like? Just like the devil. Just like the devil. That's no poo-poo thing. <laughs> That's pretty serious offense. Let's move on then. It says, now it says, deacons must be the husbands of only one wife. Or one woman man is really how that should be translated. And good managers of their children of their own household. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing of great confidence and faith that is in Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. So sorry guys, only one wife. You want the we want the position, only one wife. You can only have one wife. I can't imagine why somebody would want more more than one at a time. Can you? I can't even get through the list that Nicole has for me. Could you imagine having three or four more wives? I couldn't imagine it. And then it says he must manage his home well. It doesn't say he must manage his home perfectly. <laughs> because again, if it did, we would all be disqualified. Because the truth is, it's hard. Raising a family, so if you're getting ready to be a new parent, it's hard. Being a parent is hard. Raising a family is hard. Uh, there's a lot of joy in it, don't get me wrong, but it's tough sometimes. It's tough. And if you have multiple kids, you know that. We're going to make mistakes. We're not perfect. We're going to make mistakes. Sometimes on your best effort, it's going to be a bad day. But he says, overall, the home has to be managed well. Parenting is not easy. I'm going to give you a little story here. When we had our children... Trey came out, and Trey was so easy. I mean, it was Trey do this, and he just listened. Nothing really hard about him at all. And we're thinking, oh, we got this down. And then Chase came along. So Chase was a little more mischievous, but he would kind of joke with you to try to get out of trouble. Get in trouble a little bit, joke around a little bit, and then Kobe came. <laughs> I think he came out of the womb saying no, and what are you going to do about it? Right out of the womb. He <laughs> was tough and still is very strong-willed to this day. And there's days that you feel like, oh, my gosh, I just is, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing here anymore. I mean, there's days that I would cry because I felt like a child abuser. It's tough sometimes. But what, it, what Paul is saying here is that your house has to be managed well. It has to go well overall as the big picture. You have to be doing a good and commendable job at raising your children and, and managing your house. If it doesn't, then that person needs to be at home, right? He needs to be at home working on his first ministry field. His time needs to be spent in the home, getting his home in order and managing his home. That's what Paul's saying here. He doesn't want somebody that has their, their home and their life and their family in disarray, and now they're leaving it to go do something else when... He should be concentrating on that and getting his home in order. That's what he's saying. And then in, we'll continue on in verse 14. It says, I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in the case I am delayed, I write, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. So here Paul's telling him, listen, I really want to come to you, but in, just in case that I can't, I'm writing these things down to you so that you know, as this, this elder of this church, how people are to behave in the family of God. How this church order is supposed to be, how this family is supposed to be. I'm writing this, all these things that I've written up till now, and all these things I'll, I'll write to you after, this is 
to show you how to conduct yourself in the family or the household of God. Paul tells them he wants them to know how to live and how to behave and how to act toward one another. Paul's given instruction and wants them to live in a way because, because he wants them to live that way because he says they are the pillar and the support of this, this great faith and this great mystery of God. Not that the word of God needs any help. Not that at all. But a pillar in the ancient times was used as a when when people would, when the the royalty would have edicts or, or things that they wanted to get out to the people, they would post those on the pillars of buildings. So he's saying, you guys, you guys are the people that are getting this word out. You are the people that are spreading this word to the world. You are the light. You guys are the people that spreading this this awesome message in this crazy and dark world that needs it so bad. You are that pillar. You are that support of the word to get it out there. Matthew 5, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. And then he says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good work and then glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's our goal, guys. That is our life purpose. Once you become a Christian, that should be goal number one, is that people will see the way that you live and that people will see the way that, that you love God and the way that you love other people and that they'll see a piece of Jesus in you and they'll give the glory to God for how you're living your life. That's the goal as Christians. Everything that we do should be to bring glory and honor to God. So what are some of the things that, that we could do to dim that light? What are some things that we do that dims the light? I just listed a few. There's plenty. But one, blending with the world, right? When you blend with the world and you blend with the cultures of the world and you try to mix in and try to look just like the world, listen, we're called to be holy, right? We're said that we're, we're holy. If you're a child of God, you're called to be holy, set apart, peculiar, different. If you're blending with and looking just like the world, are you living up to that? Are we, are we really that? Are we that light? Can people see that light? Because we look just like the world. We have to be willing to stand apart from the world and the world's culture. When we stay quiet about our faith and our convictions in Jesus because we're afraid of being ridiculed or we're afraid of being persecuted or we're afraid of being made fun of because we're the Jesus freak, right, that wants to do everything that God says. When we do those things and we give in, the light dims. The light starts to dim. Jesus said this in Luke 6, 22. Blessed are you when men what? Does it say love you? Why is that not down? I'm looking stupid up here. Blessed, blessed are you when men hate you is what it says when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the son of man 
Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat them, used to treat the prophets. Your reward is great in heaven. When people make fun of you, when they ostracize you, which means kind of outcast you, when they persecute you for living for Jesus, Jesus says rejoice. Rejoice because what are you doing? You're storing up that treasure in heaven, right? That's what's important. Nothing here you're going to take with you. You're just passing that treasure. When you live that way, you're passing that treasure on to heaven. By denying Jesus in certain parts of our lives, right? Or, or letting sin dim our witness and dim our testimony to others because we're not living the way we profess. If you're not living it, nobody wants to hear it. I'll be straight, straight honest. I don't care how much of the Word of God is. If you're not living it, nobody wants to hear it. Doesn't matter how much you know. I was in my younger days. We were at a bar, actually. We were actually at Taco Bell. Anybody knows Pierre's, and you would go to Taco Bell. Uh, and uh, there was someone there that was preaching to me. I mean, like, giving me the gospel, how much Jesus loves me. And right in mid-sentence, Jesus loves you, and he falls off the stool drunk. Now, do you think I really took into account anything that he told me? I didn't care what he said. In fact, I didn't like what he said. I had a lot of old regular in me, old regular Baptist in me, so I definitely, right off the bat, didn't like what he said. I didn't listen to a word he said because he, he didn't live a life that made me want anything that he was had. Live the life. And let's move on and finish up here. Paul goes on in First um, Timothy 3.16. He says, By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness who was revealed in the flesh, was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. There's a lot in there. So Paul says first that there's no denying it. Everybody has agreed upon this. This is common confession in this church. These things are agreed upon. This is the knowledge that we want you to have. And this great mystery of godliness who was, who was veiled through the Old Testament, he was veiled in the Old Testament. And the Bible says in, in uh, 1 Peter, I think, uh, was it chapter 1? I'm not going to read it, but 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter says that these prophets and these ancient men looked into the times and looked into the how and where and who Jesus would be, the salvation that would come from God. So it was kind of veiled in the Old Testament. Now he's saying this mystery has been revealed to you. He's been revealed to you in the New Testament, and that mystery is Jesus Christ. That's the mystery of godliness. He was revealed and manifested in the flesh, the Savior, who's God in the flesh. He was vindicated in the Spirit. When Jesus was vindicated by what He said and what He did, He was vindicated when He rose from the grave. Everything that He said would happen, happened. And He was vindicated by the Spirit of God. And He was seen by angels before He came to earth, while He was on earth, and after he was glorified, seen by angels, that he is being preached about on in the world, and that he's being believed in throughout the world, and that he finally he was taken up in glory at his ascension, his glorified body taken up, glorified but still had the wounds to show how much that he loved you and how much that he did for you. 
And this is what the church is to be about. It's what the church is to be about. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. To take a, what Pastor Nate would say, keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing in the church is Jesus. That's what it's all about. It doesn't matter if you have a title or if you don't have a title. Live your life for Jesus. We all are called to love and to follow Jesus with our heart, mind, soul, body, spirit. We're all called to that. It doesn't matter if you have a title or not. We're all called to that. On 1 Peter uh, 3.15, we'll close with this. First off, I want to say real quick. So those qualifications they, that they were given for deacons there and that they gave for elders last week, that doesn't give people that aren't those positions a pass. <laughs> that doesn't mean, oh, well, gosh, I'm not a deacon, so I don't have to worry about doing it. No. Everybody lives that way. That should be our goal is to live that way. And then we, those men are marked out that are living that way. Everybody has a responsibility to live that way. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And that's the question I'll leave you with. Are we living that way? 